Okay, so this is going to be episode number 14, and I'm going to be talking about the uh, Derek Chauvin verdict, the Derek Chauvin trial, George Floyd incident in Minnesota. Um, I'll start out by um, stating and pushing forward uh, three opinions, uh, the first of which is and then, you know, I'll try to support those with, with uh, observations and, and speculation. But the first of which is moral panic is causing cognitive distortion. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, what I'm seeing is black people being very emotional and at the same time intellectually compromised on these issues. And I think what it is, is some of them, not all black people, just, you know, a certain percentage of black people, but it's very widespread and you're seeing a lot of it, is um, they're maybe so invested in this uh, victimhood uh, narrative that they've lost their ability to just to, to be lucid and to think clearly because we're seeing a lot of bad thinking. At the same time that this is happening, you're seeing a lot of white people that are signaling sympathy in that direction and they are very easily manipulated and guilted by the conversation that's going on, okay? Um, the second thing that I'm going to push forward is that the dishonest media is now calling the shots. They are absolutely running the country and they are controlling the conversation, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to support that. And then the, the third thing is that we are in the middle of a societal, very rapid societal change. Okay. And where I'm going with that is that I think it was, I, I talked about this in another uh, podcast segment, our ex-mayor, Michael Tubbs, he made the statement very, very basic, very straightforward, very overly, you know, very overly simplistic overly reductive statement that there are no bad people. There are only systems that cause unjust outcomes. So what, what does that mean? That means that there's, there's, you know, individual sovereignty and uh, individual accountability is a thing of the past. Okay. So every drug addict and every mentally ill person and every murderous, you know, homicide suspect, you know, they're not bad people. Um, their all of their individual sovereignty has been totally dissolved, and uh, all of that accountability has been transferred over to the nanny state. And when I say nanny state, I mean the police, I mean social workers, I mean healthcare workers, I mean that you know nobody can be blamed for anything anymore. And uh, I'll try to support that. Okay, but before I get into any of that, what I'm going to start with is I'm going to do something that I absolutely despise. And I'm going to signal my own virtue. All right. I'm going to virtue signal. Okay. So uh, uh, given my experience as a police officer, when I saw the um, Derek Chauvin, you know, uh, uh, cell phone, cell phone footage, and he had his foot on his neck and he's in the prone position and he's face down on the concrete. All right. If I was an officer that would have been dispatched to that, if I were the primary officer that arrived first, or I was the most experienced officer to get there later, or what have you, and I think the Stockton police figured this out a long time ago, if I heard a guy 
who's sitting behind a, a steering wheel in a car saying, I can't breathe. Okay, that's a clue. Okay. If you know you're going to have to take this person into custody, you have to calculate the risk that this is going to be an in-custody death, and you better take whatever you better take whatever measures, you better take whatever precautions you can to protect that airway. And our chiefs are smarter in Stockton, okay? Our leadership is smarter. We figured this out in the late 90s, which is why we have wraps, okay? Yeah, the wraps keep you upright, it keeps you in a seated position, and it keeps you 100% immobilized so we don't dog tie people like we used to, hog tie people like we used to. Face down, they're fighting their own body weight. They might be, um, their cardiovascular system might be impaired by the heroin or whatever drugs or, or sti- stimulants that they've taken, and tying their handcuffs to their, to their heels, bad idea. Okay, and they're going to suffocate to death. But again, you know, our leadership is smarter than that. We figured this out a long time ago. We figured this out in the late 90s. That wouldn't have happened in Stockton. It wouldn't have happened to me. We would have made smarter plays. But it seems to me that, okay, why did the jury think, why did they believe that there was any intent here and it wasn't just gross negligence? Obviously, it was gross negligence. Because how do you prove that you murdered someone who had, and I've heard different accounts, okay, so let's be fair, either a fatal dose of fentanyl or enough fentanyl to kill three people in his system. How do you, when that guy dies, okay, he's an in-custody death, and he dies of respiratory failure, how does the state prove that Derek Chauvin or anybody else made that happen? But then again, I just argued against myself because I said that our chiefs figured this out a long time ago, that's why we have the wraps. That's why we sit people up in a 90-degree upright position so that these sorts of things are less likely to happen. Okay. So let me support my first opinion. Moral panic is causing cognitive distortion. There was two trial witnesses that were very good examples of this. And I'm about to, you know, criticize black perception. Okay, there's a whole bunch of black people that were very emotionally invested in this. They are taking to the streets. They are burning down businesses. They're doing all these things. And the, you know, the retort against my, the counterattack against my criticism of this behavior is you don't know what it's like to be black. Okay, that's fair enough. I'm not black. Okay, but I am brown. Okay, and I grew up in southwest Stockton. And I'm part of the legacy of Little Manila, okay? Which means that I grew up around a bunch of Filipino people that grew up around a bunch of black people. And I saw with my own eyes and I heard with my own ears just the remarkable and mind-boggling difference in culture and behavior, okay? And I'm not talking out of my ass right now, okay? You look at the data from Edison High School for the last 70 years, it will be shocking, okay? So to say that there's no bad people and behavior's not an issue and we're all 100% equal and no, bullshit. Okay, look at the principles list, look at the valedictorians and salutatorians and and the honor roll for Edison High School for the last 70 years. Okay, the Filipino kids are Catholic, 
and they are, are raised up in a different structure and different, they have different incentives and culturally they are light years away from what some other groups are doing. Okay, and the evidence will bear that out. So when Michael Tubbs says there are no bad people, there are simply unjust systems that, that create unjust outcomes, I, I disagree strongly with that because I've seen it with my own eyes and I've lived it and my whole family have lived it. And we've been here since fucking 1936. Okay, so you don't know. All right. So, okay, so to support that, I'm going to talk about some of the, the trial witnesses. So Donald Williams was some MMA fighter. Uh, when I say MMA fighter, that's a very uh, uh, liberal definition of the word. He's nobody that anybody's ever heard of. He's, he, he, he feels that he's an MMA fighter, and he, chanced, he, he, he just stumbled into this. Okay, so he took the stand, and he gave some really interesting testimony. All right, at one point, um, he's being cross-examined, and he's being asked about how hostile and how, you know, he was calling the police bitches and, you know, tough guy and getting very uh, belligerent and vocal and threatening with the police. And um, he says, so is it safe? To, so, so as he's being cross-examined by the defense, they said, is it safe to say you were getting angry? And he goes, it's safe to say you're growing angrier. And he goes, no, I grew professional and professional and I stayed in my body. He said, I grew professional and professional, and I stayed in my body. He stayed in his body. Okay, so I guess like Dr. Strange, you know, you have access to the astral realm. You could project your, your you know, whatever. But you, you are so awesome, and you are so disciplined, and you are so peaceful that he chose not to do that. I guess, I guess, I, I guess that's what he meant when he said that. Okay, and then, um, and then another point, there was an officer, Tao. I don't know if that's like... Chinese or Hmong or something like that, but he came forward off of George Floyd and came forward to deal with this angry mob that started to form that included Donald Williams, and um, he put a hand to his to his chest, okay, and then then the defense starts to grill Donald Williams and they're like, okay, did he you know have to push anybody else back? And he goes, no, you know, Officer Tao didn't push anybody else back because I would not have allowed that. Donald Williams would not have allowed Officer Tao to um, to affect any crowd control on anybody else because Donald Williams was in control. Okay, he was in charge of that scene, and then Donald Williams um, uh, was one of many people that called the called nine one one on the police, and that will become relevant because the next witness that I'm talking about did the same thing. Okay. Um, I don't have her name in front of me, but there was a female fireman that happened to be um, on scene, and she tried to intervene. She tried to uh, offer some medical advice to the officers that were uh, dealing with with um, with Floyd, and her, which everybody listening to this needs to get on YouTube and watch her testimony, because her lack of self-awareness and i would say her delusion was it was pretty shocking okay um she seemed to take her her opportunity to testify in this case to aggressively declare her anti-racism okay 
and her awesome um, competence as a fireman and to, you know, dec- you know, uh, declare her humanity from the mountaintop. And uh, she became very belligerent and argumentative with the defense. And she said things that just didn't make any goddamn sense at all. Okay. So at one point, the defense was probing in the direction of, um, you know, did you call 911? Did you have an occasion to call 911? Because she called 911 at some point to give her account of what she had saw and heard, I guess. And then she abruptly disconnected while she was on the phone with, with 911. And they said, well, okay, well, what, what was that all about? What happened? She goes, well, it was pretty chaotic. There was a lot of stuff going on at the scene. But um, I was concerned that there was people of color, you know, specifically uh, males of color at the scene and officers were still there. And I was worried about the safety of the people of color at the scene. Let me say that again. She disconnected with the 911 operator because there was people of color who were, you know, maybe belligerent and upset with what they saw. And there was males of color at the scene. And there were also officers still at the scene. And she was concerned for the safety of the males of color at the scene. So that's why in, in, in the panic, you know, she had to disconnect. She said that on the stand, okay? And then at another point, the defense is trying to say, okay, if say you're doing your job and you're holding a fire hose and you're putting out flames, you're doing whatever whatever you're doing, and an angry mob forms and they start to come close to you and they start to, to try to direct you how to do your job and they start to uh, get physically threatening with you, you know, do you think that could... Do you think that could, uh, uh, you know, affect the way you do your job? Or do you think that would have an adverse effect on you discharging your duties? And she uh, aggressively says, absolutely not. You know, I am very competent. I'm an awesome fireman. Um, You know, my expertise and training, you know, that would be a non-factor. Okay, so there's no such thing as staging. Okay, your union didn't didn't uh, negotiate that if you're en route to anything with belligerent people, a.k.a. angry black people, you're going to stage two blocks down the street to rule out that you could even be flagged down by by any of these people. And um, you know damn well you're not going to come in until you get the code for. Because people like you are scared to death of the belligerent and aggressive and violent behavior you've seen from these ghetto people, okay? And your union didn't put it at the top of the fucking checklist that you're not going to get anywhere near that goddamn scene until the police have, have quelled that issue. Okay, no, no, you're just, you're, you're an awesome two-year fireman and uh, you're very anti-racist and you were so upset by what you saw and yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so what I'm saying here is that with Donald Williams and with the female firewoman, I believe the, the, the jury in this case were six uh, black people or people of color, whatever that means, and six white people. And my suspicion is that when you have a mob of protesters, no, you have a mob of rioters surrounding the courthouse 
it obviously colors, it doesn't just color the uh, the testimony, the ridiculous, fucking hysterical, just uh, psychedelic, fucking hallucinatory uh, uh, testimony testimony of the witnesses, it makes me speculate, hmm, what was going on in the minds of the six black people and the six white people that were on this jury? Did they not hear this shit? Did they not hear all this virtue signaling and all this, uh, you know, victimhood uh, narrative? Of course they did. And they knew that the expert witnesses for the defense were getting uh, uh, pig heads stuck on the pike of their fence and getting their houses smeared with pig blood. Did Derek Chauvin, you know, and I haven't spoken very uh, 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 flatteringly of Chauvin so far, did he get a fair trial? What do you think? Do you think there's any goddamn chance that guy got a fair trial under these circumstances? Plus the judge, he has congresswomen, he has has public figures and, and, and people in the goddamn Congress saying we need to get more confrontational, we need to call for violence. So then the, when the defense brings that up, the judge doesn't declare a mistrial, but he says, oh, you may have something on, a, on, a, on appeal. Well, why would it be an appeal and not a mistrial? Are you not a judge? Are you acknowledging that there's an issue, but you don't have the fucking moral strength or backbone to take, you know, to take any action on it? I don't know. I, you know, I was, I, I actually got into it and I watched the testimony of the firewoman and Donald Williams. And, uh, I was like, what kind of, what kind of clown show is this? Okay. So then, um, let's get into, um, the dishonest media is, is running the show. Um, they're controlling the conversation. They're putting these these opinions and they're putting this rhetoric in front of you and it's it's directing the flow of how we're thinking about and how we're talking about this okay george floyd had enough fentanyl in his system to kill three people okay and the guy who sold him the fentanyl was sitting next to him in the fucking car when the police made contact his drug dealer was sitting next to him in the car has anyone even talked about what his charges are? Fuck no. Because the AG of Minnesota is Keith Ellison. And that's a that's a the that's gonna be the next episode. Episode number 15 is tentatively titled Keith Ellison is a piece of shit. And it's gonna be the best one ever, trust me. Okay. Yeah, the dis the dishonest media thinks that they have us all hypnotized. They think they have us all fooled. Uh, I'm not so sure. Okay, so the third assertion was that the societal change, um, yeah, the Overton window is sliding so far, so fast, it is scary. Um, You know, 26 years in law enforcement, things have changed so radically. Um, I touched on this, and I think it was episode eight or nine, um, leftist collectivism, if you go into a briefing room, the roll call of any police department 25 years ago, you're going to see 211 suspects, you're going to see 187 suspects, you're going to see footage of suspects from surveillance in a 459, you're going to see things like that. Now, if you go to that same location, what you're going to see is a bunch of at-risk missing persons. Okay, and when I say at-risk missing persons, these people weren't kidnapped by anybody. 
okay? They are mentally ill and they're drug addicted and they're troubled people and they're levering, they're leveraging their dysfunction against the state, okay? Again, let me reassert, they have no individual sovereignty. There's no such thing as individual uh, accountability and any bad outcome that those lowlife suffer is uh, is the fault of the nanny state. The nanny state, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you gullible, stupid police officers who are accepting more and more of this shit. So, um, oh, let me let me go back real quick with the you don't know what it's like to be black thing, okay? And the victimhood narrative that so many is 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 being baked into so many um of these black people that they believe that they 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 sincerely believe that America is a horrible racist place and that the police are out to kill them and in the last episode of this podcast there is no evidence there is the evidence does not bear that out okay the police are not racist the police do not get more violent with black people they do not kill people at a higher rate as a matter of fact, there, all the evidence suggests that the opposite is true. So look at episode number 13 if you don't believe me. Um, and it, as an example, I'm going to, okay, to, to, to make my case on that one, I'm going to juxtapose this with the OJ trial and verdict, okay? Johnny Cochran, OJ's, one of OJ's many, you know, dream team, um, you know, defense uh, uh, lawyers, he was quoted as saying, now he didn't say this directly to the media, but he, he said this to someone in confidence who later, you know, wrote this down, is all I need is one black person on the jury. Johnny Cochran said, all I need is one black person on the jury. So what does Johnny Cochran believe about black people? Okay. Does he believe that he could pull on their um, heartstrings and manipulate their emotions and make this about things other than the facts, and make things about <laughs> make this trial about things other than the evidence, and manipulate these uh, black people into being one hundred percent inflexible and obstructive. I think he. I think that's exactly what he meant, and I think he knew exactly what he was talking about. And I think he's a smart guy, and he keeps his finger on the pulse of these things, which is why he's a very highly paid, uh, you know, defense counselor, and. Um, Okay, if you don't believe me, um, take a look at the data, okay? There's polling data when this happened in L.A., when O.J. was, you know, acquitted of all charges. What percentage of black people believe that he was innocent, okay? Since then, a lot of people have come to their senses, but what percentage of black people today still think that he's innocent? Okay, and what level of bad thinking, what level of emotion, what level of being compromised intellectually and emotionally does that require to you to arrive at that point? Okay, I'm not even going to, I've seen the data, I'm not even going to say it right now, because quite frankly, it's embarrassing. I'm not going to embarrass you and me with that data right now. If you want to Google it, Google it. But um, did Derek Chauvin get a fair trial? with a goddamn mob of rioters surrounding the courthouse. Um, and were not everyone 
from the witnesses to the judge to the jury um, guilted and manipulated and intimidated. Of course they were. And uh, yeah, I think I'll I'll leave that there. Uh, the next the next episode's gonna be a good one. Tune in. Thanks. Bye.